Hello, everybody. Welcome back into Locked On Suns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, as always, I'm your host, Evan Sender, and join my co-host, Brennan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at eSender. You can follow Brennan on Twitter at BrennanClean14. Also, for our Locked On Suns, if you haven't already, at Locked On PHX Suns, your supporter is very much appreciated, as always. And we're joining you guys for part two of our Prospect Debate Series week. I know on Monday, we had Darius Garland, Kobe White. Tuesday, we, we had a break in between, gave you some breaking news stuff with Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated, helped preview the draft. We're back today with the Prospect Debate Series, but today it's an interesting one. I think it's a really close one because actually these guys are right next to each other on my big board at six and seven overall. DeAndre Hunter and Brandon Clark. Brandon, what's your thoughts before we dive in on just these two guys? And we'll probably zone in first on DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, it was, it was really fun to be able to see both of these guys, two players who last season um, I was interested by. Obviously, Hunter's freshman season ended with an injury and Jarrett Culver just really wasn't able to show too much with uh, Keenan Evans there at Texas Tech. So he decides to come back to school. Zaire Smith leaves as well. So both of them became the leaders of their team and got to play each other in the national championship game. That that one-on-one duel was awesome for scouting purposes, but also, as, as everyone surely remembers, just made for a pretty fun game too. So two guys that we got to see more of than just about anybody with the fact that they've both been in school for two seasons and made deep runs in March. So uh, it was, it, it's a, it's a good comparison, I think, to have both of them up against each other today. Yeah. As far as with, um, it's going to be interesting, especially with a guy like Brandon Clark, because you see a guy who's a big man. He's uh, sort of like a three through five, especially. I think he's a guy who actually worked out the Phoenix Suns too. So we'll dive into that more in our second segment today show when we dive in on Brandon Clark. But in our first segment, we're going to hit on DeAndre Hunter for you guys. So first off, I'll give my analysis of DeAndre Hunter real quick. I think he's a guy who I think is underrated. I think you also agree with this, Brandon. He's a little too underrated right now in the draft process. I think he's a serious consideration for the Suns at number six. If Jared Culver, if Darius Garner off the board, because he kind of would fill the TJ Warren role offensively. I mean, he obviously wouldn't be able to get buckets like TJ Warren, but he'd fill that role as a small ball forward, but unlike Warren, he's a high, high, I mean, they're both high IQ, but I think Hunter more instinctual defensively a lot. He can pass the ball a lot better than TJ too. And he can also secondary rim protect when need be. And he can also slide on defense too. Kind of what he's the inverse of TJ Warren, so to say, where if he does hit some more upside offensively, like we saw in the national title game going for 27 points against Jared Culver and Texas tech. I think there's a lot of untapped upside for him to be more than just a three and D role player has been advertised by, by many pundits out there. Yeah, I, I got ahead of myself talking about Culver. We're doing that on Friday. But Hunter, I think the the debate on him, as we've talked about with Ross Homan, I think we hit on him a little bit with Cole Zwicker as well. Um, the debate to me with him is is interesting. It's like Virginia, if they continue to do this, I, I think are going to be an interesting case study for prospects in general. They've had a lot of success. Mike Scott, Malcolm Brogdon, um, even Justin Anderson, like there's guys who have come in and it's mostly the the better athletes that make it from Virginia's system. But especially offensively, there's going to be a lot to watch with Hunter where you wonder, was he just kind of ne- never asked to do a lot of self-creation? I mean, he was, he, he was pretty good in the post. I think you watched him when he needed to get a bucket he was kind of in that high post area and was able you know has some good touch around the basket and really was able to use his functional strength to create space for himself to get layups and dunks um against most most opponents so that all that's good but 
athletically and kind of just, you know, his handle, things like that, that other players in other systems might have been able to, to use more. He didn't really have to and, and never really was asked to. So that is interesting to me. And I think we'll, he'll have to improve there if he's going to be, you know, really somebody that in a redraft a few years down the road is at the top of this draft. You know, he might be a guy who who falls a little bit from where he's picked. But, you know, the other side of that coin is is what do you value in a modern, you know, forward in a 3-4? Is it a guy that needs to be able to create offense for you or is the defense just enough that he's going to be able to give you top value despite, you know, maybe never really hitting that ceiling on offense? It's fascinating. I think Virginia and the way they play has a lot to do with it. Yeah, we'll dive more into the Suns fits in the last part of the show there. But I think diving back on my Warren point there for just a second, I feel like we always talk in the season why TJ Warren's not a good fit with DeAndre and Devin Booker. And I think DeAndre Hunter would be the inverse of that because if he doesn't provide offense, that's that's all right because you're going to have Aiden and Booker taking 20 to 15 shots, probably 35 shots per game next year between the two of those guys maybe. And there's not going to be a lot of shots to go around outside of that if you had not Kelly Oubre as well. So if Hunter can really – BA three and D guy and really can have more upside as a point of attack defender. I want to hit on his defense too, because you asked Jeremy this on yesterday's episode about Jared Culver possibly being the best point of attack defender. I personally think it's DeAndre Hunter because some of the games he has, I mean, we saw against Purdue in the national in, in the March Madness tournament, yeah. he was locking down Carson Edwards. He was also and against Culver himself, right? Yeah, exactly. Also I went back and watched Virginia tech as, as well. He was doing the same thing. The Keel Alexander Walker is going to be a top 16, 17 pick in this draft. So he can lock down point guards. He can easily switch on the threes and fours. And at some point, I mean, he could even guard really slow, big plotting fives just with his physical sheer size. He, he actually uses his size and his strength to his advantage a lot of the time on defense too, which I really like. I just think Hunter, maybe it's just me. I mean, obviously I, I really liked Anthony Mellon last year. I'm ranked in my lottery. I like defense and prospects a lot, as you guys can tell. So DeAndre Hunter is definitely up near the top of my board just because he has more upside than I think a lot of people think. It's kind of like the Mikhail Bridge discussion we were having last year where we thought this guy can do all the smart and tangible things, but if he can just have a click in his head, like, okay, I can be more aggressive. Like we saw with, again, with DeAndre in the national title game against Texas Tech. If he can do that more consistently, I think he's actually a really good prospect. Yeah, I think the idea that you mentioned of considering him across from TJ Warren and the parallels and what Hunter does that's probably just more valuable. Um, I mean, you saw what it was, what it unlocked for the Suns. And I, I mean, I don't even think we need to talk about the Suns specifically. I think there's a lot of teams in this position with a big, uh, maybe not not an elite defensive center, but somebody who you probably need to clean up for a little bit on that end. You know, with Aiton, Towns, Jokic, and B, there's a lot of these guys around the league popping up. There's going to be more of them over time, I think, for sure. And how you account for that? What do you do on defense to contain those guys? And if you have one of them, what type of four makes the most sense? And I'm fascinated by by Hunter for that reason. I've been hitting all off season on wanting to see the Suns at least switch a little bit more. I mean, we we brought I brought Michael Pina on on a solo episode with him. He was in disagreement with me there, but I think if you find a guy like Hunter who you who can help you pull that off. And I think rebounding for him is an interesting thing to consider too. Not really an elite rebounder by any means, only 9.8 total rebound percentage as a sophomore this year, but played alongside another traditional five most of the time. 
and their whole roster is pretty big. So I think that's interesting, but I think he's a guy that really can hold up at the four spot and do a lot of the things we, we really wanted to see from TJ Warren. And I think the difference between their offensive games, not that much. I mean, Warren's going to go get you a bucket kind of in isolation. He's going to be able to create for himself a little more, but as you mentioned, like that skills not as needed when it's, Booker and Aiton kind of in their prime and some of the other role players they've already pulled up. And we also don't even know who the point guard is going to be. I just don't think that you need a guy at that spot who is, you know, every night capable of going off for 20. Like that's just not really what I'm looking for. Hunter is much more the type of player that I think you need next to a center like Aiton. Also really to the rebound point there, the sub 10% rebound rate. When I watched him and went back and when he's playing the four, they had Diakite and Jack Salt on the floor a lot alongside him on the Y. That's such a huge lineup and no spacing. But whenever he was playing the four alongside just one of those guys, he did really well rebounding the ball. So I think those qualms – I'm a little bit less concerned about his rebounding just because he's aggressive. He knows how to attack the ball when it's off the glass. So I'm really less concerned about his rebounding. If you can just be like a TJ Warren-level rebounder, that's fine by me because his defense makes up for it, in my opinion. But – what do you think about his shot, Brendan? Because obviously, I think we talked about with Jeremy yesterday and also I think with Coles Wicker before, just DeAndre Hunter, your stock on him depends on how much you buy a shot. What, what's your view on it? I think it's going to be fine. I mean, I'm, I really, it's it's a slow release. I mean, obviously you watch him, it's not Steph Curry out there by any means, but I think he has good footwork in the pick and pop. Um, and something we talked about with Darius Garland a little bit is, the, the difference between you know a high release point and a low release point. Most of the guys with the low release, obviously there's less motion involved, so they get the shot off quicker, but the high release point makes it harder to block. And I, Hunter's high release point on that jumper makes it, you know, he's also much taller than a point guard like Garland. I don't think you're going to be worried about him getting blocked. So, you know, that, that negates some of it. And I think, you know, I mean, you got to just trust the numbers at some point, right? Like he shot 76% from or I'm sorry, 78% from the free throw line and 44% from three. As a freshman, he was at 76 and 38. Like I just, you know, you got to trust what's there. And I think he's shown that he's a pretty solid shooter and I don't see any reason. He's not going to be maybe an elite shooter at the NBA level, especially not early on as he kind of acclimates to just the the longer line. And he probably does need to work on that release a little bit to get it more more, uh, kind of fluid but I, I'm not worried. Are you? No, not really. Just because I trust like when, when you see his progression on a shot, it was like in the mid 30% as freshman. Then he goes to the 43%, even more attempts per game. But I think that just like the Mikhail Bridges factor. Where I'm like, okay, this, he gets it. He knows his role. He's been focusing on his role and he really could buy into a smaller role and really specialize in it too. I think DeAndre Hunter could be a, a stretch four and, be a guy who could guard fours and threes and maybe spot ones on the next level, which I think is just a really interesting prospect. Because yeah, I think he can guard one through five. I mean, not every one, not every five, but I think he can. Like, he has the size and length to do that. He, he kind of is the guy, like, if you think about it, he's kind of the guy you put up against Ben Simmons, right? He's definitely, I think, a guy you could use on those bigger playmakers. Luca, Simmons, um, you know, Booker, if if he ends up somewhere else, like those six six and above playmakers, you need a guy like Hunter. I mean, we're seeing the value of that with Kawhi in, in these playoffs. That so we're not going to do the Kawhi comparison because I think that that's uh, unfair to any prospect at this point with the the level of skill Kawhi has developed. But defensively, 
the size, strength, length, mobility, all that stuff, Hunter has it. And I think that's what you need looking around the league right now. Real quickly, I wanted to hit on some negatives with DeAndre Hunter when I've watched him. I think the main one with me, we were talking about this off air before we recorded, but I went back and watched some more of Virginia this morning just to really reassure my thoughts before we recorded. And the one thing that stands out to me with DeAndre Hunter, he's so good just on defense and he's so good like, within his role, but for some reason, like when he gets a steal, like he's just uncoordinated or he just lacks like maybe some twinge of athleticism. I feel like if he could just be like more coordinated, he'd be a lot better prospect. Like his feel feels off a little bit. Just some of the stuff is missing from his game where I feel like it should be, it's more rudimentary right now than it should be a lot more smoother. Yeah. I think you notice it on offense the most. Um, he's mobile and he's, um, you know, can as we said, like he can get his shot off. But I think there's, you know, as a playmaker, I think he leaves a lot to be desired, and that's fine. I mean, he's if he's a stretch four, those guys aren't really the players you're asking to go, you know, dish ten assists a night. But that's going to be something that can get exposed at the next level if he's not comfortable making that pass or doesn't quite have the handle to, you know, ward off a double team or get into traffic and make a play. Things like that that are going to limit his ceiling on offense. Um, and I think, you know, speaking to that a little bit as well, the, maybe the lack of athleticism or the lack of functional athleticism, where it just doesn't really impact the game so much, the steal and block percentages are not what you would associate with an elite defender in college. 1.2 steal percentage, 2.4 block block is okay. I think it could be a little higher considering he did occasionally play the five for them. Um, and steal percentage at just 1.2 that's really low. I mean, I think you would really want that to be higher considering how much he was switching out onto the perimeter and the way that Virginia plays in that kind of trap and recover system that, that lends itself to creating turnovers. And he wasn't really the guy to do that very often. So that'll be something I'm watching is, you know, how does he impact the game defensively? Is it just kind of positioning good team defense and occasionally switching out on the perimeter? Or does he turn into somebody who's going to just really wreak havoc and be, you know, an all defense level player? Yeah, he's definitely just one of the more interesting prospects we're going to be following in this process as far as the Suns range goes in that six six pick because he's just such a safe prospect to me where I feel like he's not going to fail in the next level, but his his ceiling just all depends on his offense, in my opinion. His, his defense might also be an adjustment period, at least in this first year, but I feel like eventually he's going to click back to where it was. But DeAndre Hunter, where do you rank as far as we're going to our next summit, your ceiling and your floor for a comparison for DeAndre Hunter? Yeah, I mean, I think comparison, like it's it's a lot of the guys that most most listeners would be able to come up with, right? I think it's like Luol Dang, that's somebody the ringer has on their draft guide who I think is a really nails it. And then, you know, Thad Young maybe as another one who's, I, I don't know, wingspan wise because Hunter didn't go to the combine, but feels, Thad Young feels a little longer, a little better of an athlete. So I think Hunter, you know, his ceiling is probably an all defensive team. And, you know, just consistent spot-up shooter, like an elite 3 and D guy. I think that's probably where I see him. I, I struggle to imagine him becoming an all-star just because of the offense. I just don't know where that, what he gets better at, aside from just becoming, like, an incredible shooter. And even that's not quite enough for me. So, you know, I mean, imagine, think about the career that guys like Young and Dang had with maybe a little less self-creation, but a little better shooting. And... That's kind of the player I imagine Hunter being at his peak. And then Flora, I don't think is much lower than that. I just don't see him being a guy who flames out at all. Yeah, for Flora, I'll start off with that. I feel like it's along the lines of a Luol Deng type, like just a very serviceable 3 and D role player who could give you 10 yeah. to 
10 to 12 I mean, points. Dang made all-star games, though. Dang can score. Yeah, yeah, that, that's very true. Yeah. But um, the more I think about it, just, I, I just feel like like a Luol Dang type is like a floor for him just because I feel like he's just not going to be a guy who fails in the next level because he's going to be, a, I think, a long-term starter, or if not a starter, he's going to be a, a six-man on a really good team eventually. I think he's one of those pieces you put on a really good team that's going to really thrive on the next level. But uh, really quickly, as far as physicality for or physical trait comparison for a guy like DeAndre Hunter, I was just doing some quick math. He has the exact same measurements as Kelly Oubre, 6'7", 7'2", wingspan reportedly for DeAndre Hunter. So that's just another aspect of the Suns value length. That's another guy you add in there with a Hunter and Oubre and a Bridges. I think that's a, a nice trio there. Before we go on to our next summit, though, I want to tell you guys really quickly about today's Locked On Podcast mock draft, which runs through actually the entire week on the Locked On Podcast Network through Monday as well. I believe we're actually on the clock today, Brennan, with the sixth pick. It might be a surprise for you guys. So go over there and tune in to the Locked On Podcast Network Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Monday. They're going to have everything for you. We really go in-depth as well with Jeremy Wood, Sports Illustrated. You guys just heard yesterday is on throughout the week over there with David Locke. So uh, actually let us know in the comment section on Brightside or iTunes. I'm going to be really curious to hear the fans' reaction of the sixth pick. Yeah, if you're going to give us uh... – a comment on iTunes, do it with a five-star rating. Don't make your rating of the pick how you rate the show because we might not want you to do that. But tune in Monday as well. Monday will be um, Suns-related. I'll just leave it there. That'll be um, in the in the 20s, but tune in that day. I mean, tune in for the whole thing, but if you're just a Suns fan, check out today and check out Monday for sure. And if you like what you're hearing, then stick around for the whole show. But today's show is also brought to you by the Himalaya podcast app. It is free, super easy to use, and has every single podcast that you already love or might be searching for to try out for the first time. They also have personally curated playlists, themed collections of shows that are sorted by genre, whether that's talk shows, thrillers, sports, mystery shows, anything you want to find. When you love a show, you can follow, like, and comment on it to stay up to date and, and interact with the creator. And you can share those those shows and individual episodes with your friends uh, through the app to really, I think, as I've said before, they're, they're kind of taking what's cool about the internet, like what we do already on social media and bringing that to the podcast world. So find and download the Himalaya app on your favorite app store. And don't forget to follow Locked on Suns once you're there. All right, let's move on to our second guy of the day who I finally have in my head correctly. That is Brandon Clark. Gonzaga big man who we've talked plenty about. I think people know we are pretty high on him, but what's kind of your overview? Like, what are you thinking about if it's October? Brandon Clark has been drafted to a team. We don't know what that'll be yet, but like, what are the questions that you're kind of most interested in when it comes to Clark? I think for me, it just all comes down to what his role is going to be on offense in the NBA. Cause I feel like his defensive ceiling and his potential is pretty locked in right now as a, a four or a five is going to be a secondary rim protector or a primary rim protector. He's going to be actually a really good one, in my opinion. Even We'll talk about the wingspan and the length stuff in a little bit, but interesting question with that. But the more I think about Brandon Clark and his role, I, I want to see him as like a, a Paul Millsap, a Pascal Siakam type, because I feel like he has that in him. Because like when I, I tweeted out a clip, I think a few weeks ago on my Twitter account, I, I was watching a game, I believe it was against St. Mary's that Gonzaga was playing, and Clark made the exact same spin move that Siakam does, made the the pass that usually Siakam does. I'm like, okay, he can, he can do this stuff. So if he can buy into that and really just buy into a smaller role, a guy can maybe give you eight to 10 points per game, two blocks per game, 
maybe three or four assists per game. I feel like his assist is a thing that I could feel could be a really good thing on the next level. He has really good feel, really good IQ and, and vision for the game. So I think we're both higher on Brandon Cork than most because I think just his – Not higher than Max McCauley. No, no, we'll, we'll say that. <laughs> He's not on our board, but I think for – for Clark, it's just an interesting prospect because he's a guy who I think is going to be immediately transit the next level. And I think he could be a lot more than what people think. I think they're underselling Brandon Clark a little bit. Yeah, the, we mentioned it a little bit with Jeremy yesterday. He got into a – we had two former uh, guests on our show get into it on Twitter a little bit about Jordan Bell as a kind of like a warning sign, a caution, cautionary tale for people, teams that might be wanting to draft Clark and – I think that's fair. Like an undersized guy who we feel like is really skilled and athletic, who just kind of doesn't necessarily have the feel, the instincts, uh, the physicality to to cut it. And I I think that as like an archetype concern is fair. Like Bell maybe is one of the first guys who really jumped the gun with the small ball thing. I think the Warriors maybe regret that pick in hindsight, just maybe kind of colored by the way that Draymond Green panned out or trusting their own player development and it just didn't really work out with that guy. I mean, maybe it's too early to say that, but he's getting into his prime already with how old he was. So that that's a concern, but I think Ross Homan's point in 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 response to to Wu was fair, which I think as you were just talking about too, like Clark has a level of skill that on offense, handle, he has, you know, some some dribble moves like the spin you were talking about. He can get to that from the post, which is impressive too similar to Siakam it doesn't you know he doesn't have to just bust it out and transition like he can do that in the half court to to get to the basket and I think as a passer like you said like he's a grab and go threat and I think he'll continue to build that up in the NBA somebody who can can handle the ball a little bit get into some dribble handoffs some pick and pops and make plays out of that and Bell's never been that type of player so Clark Clark said at the combine and and has continued to talk about at various workouts that all of those kind of secondary skills on offense, in addition to his jump shot, are the main focus for him this offseason. And that's that's exciting to hear. Speaking of that jump shot, if you go back and watch San Jose State before Clark transferred, oh my goodness, that might be the most ugly jump shot I've ever seen. But what after he got the Gonzaga, though, he really overhauled it and he's continued to overhaul it. What does that say about a prospect that just – I know it's hard to say because we see prospects overhaul jump shots all the time with results or success, successful or unsuccessful results. But what do you think about Clark and his potential to be a, maybe a guy who could stretch the floor in the next level? Because that's pretty much what he's going to have to do if he wants to stay on as a guy we think he could be. Yeah, if he's going to reach, reach his ceiling, he definitely needs to be able to shoot. And if he's going to play the four, I think it becomes even more important. And that's probably where he'll be early in his career. That's where he would be with the Suns. Yeah, took a season off as a, as a transfer, um, redshirted his junior season. This was his senior season, so he is a little bit older. But took 15 threes, um, took a little bit more pull-up, spot-up shots from um, the post, the high post. I think it's definitely a work in progress for anybody to say that they feel like they know what he'll be as a shooter is probably just wrong. We don't have enough evidence in my opinion of that new jumper and you know, like 69% from the free throw line is a good improvement, but I just, I think he, he's going to have to get a lot better. It's not, it's not where it needs to be yet. And I think he knows that it's just a matter of, like you said, is he the guy who, it works out for or is he the guy who 
a few years into his career, we just start to have to acknowledge the fact, you know, Rondé Hollis Jefferson or Michael Kidd Gilchrist, where it's like, okay, it's just not going to happen. This is a defense only type of player who maybe adds a little bit as a playmaker, but you don't really have to respect him on the perimeter. That's an interesting question. Since you brought up the guys like RHJ and MKG, what do you think just, do you think Clark's more boomer bust than we're getting him credit for? Because I think that what Jeremy was saying yesterday, I think Jeremy has him ranked in his mid twenties. I know some people actually have him ranked in their twenties as well. So he's a really divisive prospect among draft Twitter, but what do you think about maybe we're on the side of him being more of a safe prospect? What do you, playing devil's advocate here, what do you think is more of the boomer bust side of Clark? Well, I mean, I think, yeah, we can probably get into like the floor ceiling thing we've been doing, which to me, I mean, I think his ceiling is fairly low. I think there's a chance. I, I think he'll be a rotation player. Like, I think he'll have a pretty long career just because of what he gives you on defense. Like, we all are disappointed in the route that Kid Gilchrist's career took, but he's not going to be playing in China anytime soon. You know, he got a second contract that paid him pretty well because of the value he brought on defense. So, you know, I think Clark at that point's probably like a bench center, like a guy who has to play the five because of his limitations on offense, but can still give you some value with just the athleticism and and hustle and energy on defense. That's probably like a guy who's just your your third or fourth big man at that point. Yeah, I think he's a guy who could really have a floor. I mean, maybe it's crazy to say, but does he kind of remind you, I mean, as a floor, like a Rashawn Holmes type? I feel like that's not really out of the question where he could just be a really solid back of five and give you 15 to 20 minutes on the next level because he kind of does everything that Rashawn Holmes does and maybe more at a higher level. That's why I think with Clark, we're higher on him as well. I mean, maybe not more so you, but for me, with if Rashawn Holmes does indeed leave, which seems like it's going to happen, Clark can play five through three for the Suns, I feel like. Maybe not three. That's a little extreme right now with the shooting, but I feel like four and five, he could easily interchange with DeAndre Aiden's off the floor. He could easily play five alongside all the wings. I think he definitely has an interchangeable, versatile fit. And today's NBA, especially, I think Clark is a, a good fit. Yeah, defensively, I mean, you could play him at the three, which is why it's exciting, I think. Why you, you know, you could have him on the court in some matchups, maybe like Kelly Oubre is playing the four and then Aiton's defending the five and Clark's, you know, pl- defending a guy like, you know, Giannis or so, somebody like that with the way that other teams can make it difficult. Clark's versatility is kind of an answer for those types of, of mismatches. So that's that's part of his value. I think that's one of the biggest parts of his value. But where I, I finally kind of finalized my board. Where do you have him? I actually have Clark ranked number six overall. Me too, yeah. Which <laughs> coincidentally is where the Suns are picking. But yeah, I mean, where do you see as a ceiling? Ceiling, I mean, I don't want to say Siakam, but I feel like it's maybe like a mix between Millsap and Siakam. I don't think he has ever going to be like a Siakam type. Maybe I'm underselling Clark a little bit, but I think the length matters. So I want to get into the length real quick with you as well. But I, I think a mix between Millsap and Siakam, maybe just a, a discount version of Siakam is a ceiling for him. And I think his floor is probably a Rashawn Holmes type or maybe like a Rodney Hollis Jefferson type. It's kind of a big gap between floor and ceiling, but I, I think we're both pretty confident he's on the, the side that's going to be pretty safe as a prospect. Yeah, I like the Holmes thing because of the way that his jumper was kind of uh, an inflection point for his career. He really just dropped it. He might, he might. I, I would expect Holmes, if, if especially if he leaves Phoenix, to start shooting again. Uh, I think team. I think it was kind of a mistake on the Suns' part to not ask him to try that more often. And but Clark's career could take a similar path where he'll try it early on, and maybe he has to face the reality at some point that it doesn't 
it just isn't a part of his game. Um, but I, I think, you know, ceiling wise, like offensively, Siakam's just at another level with the handle. The he's much faster than Clark and um just very unique player. Like, I don't know. Siakam's probably bordering on that thing where we're gonna start comparing everybody to him and no one's gonna meet that standard. But the length is a is a part of it. I and I I think it's so fascinating because at the while, you know, six eight wingspan, right? Like that's a concern, but I also somehow, because of his athleticism and because of his his defensive instincts, I trust him to play center more than I trust Siakam to play center. Yeah, I really wouldn't be surprised by that thought because he has the the explosiveness. Like when you watch Clark play, and he's someone's driving toward the rim, it takes him less than a second to get up there at the rim. It's pretty crazy his his athleticism. He could go up there and really swat any shot he wants to. And what do you think about that? Just because. I see in a lot of Suns fans. I know you're if if you're in on Brandon Clark, you're 100 in. If you're not on Brandon Clark, you're 100 out at this point. It's pre, he's pretty nip and tuck between Suns fans. But what do you think about the the crowd saying he's six foot eight? He only has a six foot and a quarter wingspan. Does length matter in today's NBA? I mean, obviously it does when you see all the stars that have the wingspan they do and how they play two way basketball. But does Clark's athleticism, like you were mentioning there, make up for his lack of length? I think it does. I mean, I, I think it has to, like he's already shown that it can, you know, we mentioned on a previous episode, he was the five for Gonzaga. Like he played center. The West coast conference is not necessarily like a who's who of big men, but he still made it work. And their non, their non-conference and tournament schedules were a slog. You know, they played good teams. They played Florida state. They played Texas tech. Like they, had to make it work. And when he got to play smaller teams like Baylor, he just, just, just demolished them. So he did any, everything you could ask for him to answer those questions of how he can make an impact despite not having that size and length. And I think you'll have to just do that again. Like PJ Tucker's not, and he's not even a very good athlete. You know, his, he's, his, a I think he has a more of a positive wingspan, but he's six, six, like he's shorter. And you see the way that he's able to impact the game just with, you know, playing physically, playing with energy, and just, you know, verging on a genius level of feel defensively. I think Clark's going to have to check every single one of those boxes. It's why it's so hard to to fill that role at the next level. But I I do think I trust him to get there. Like, if he's going to play as hard as possible every single minute of the game, and he has that leaping ability, like that Marvin Bagley-esque leaping, leaping ability, you know, I don't really know what, what else you can ask for. Like, if you want to punish a guy for just not being physically there, that's fine. But I, I would prefer to value the fact that he's overcome that already at a really high level at Gonzaga this year and trust that that will continue. Yeah, I'm totally there with you. I think we're in agreement that Clark is, even though it might be considered a reach, I've been saying this by many, because I think there's a lot of people out there who think if they do indeed take Clark at six, it's a it's a reach. You should be there in the ten, the teens and the maybe the late teens, but I think in this draft, especially for me, I've been I reassessed my board again. I did a little shuffling this morning before I submitted later this weekend. Really, after four and five, Brennan, I mean, this draft falls off a cliff. That from six to like twenty, there's guys who I really wouldn't be surprised by if they go in like that eight to ten range. It's going to be incredibly interesting. I mean, Clark's one guy that I think is a huge question mark. Romeo Langford is another one. Jeremy Wu had him twenty first and wrote that people feel like he. Um, is a decent bet to fall out of the lottery. Then you look, Tyler Hero got invited to the green room at the draft, which is a surprise to me. Somebody that I'm pretty high on, but didn't really have that level of hype 
throughout the season. So uh, it's it's going to be very interesting. And I think Clark's going to be one guy who, you know, could go as high as six to the Suns. But if he's in into the, you know, 15 to 20 range, I don't think anyone would would be surprised either. But before we move on to our last segment here and talk about fit with the Suns, who we would prefer and whether we would rather take one of these big men or just trade the number six pick, want to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, which is Grip6. These guys make ultra lightweight belts with no holes, no flap, that are a perfect gift for any occasion. With Father's Day coming up, get your dad a Grip6 belt to try this this sleek kind of low-key look. These belts just kind of fade into an outfit and fit really well. So go to Grip6.com slash lock for a special offer courtesy of Locked On Suns. That's Grip6, the number six, dot com slash L-O-C. K-E. Today's show is also brought to you by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com. You get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, and get rewarded. All right, Brennan, we are in our final segment here talking about Brennan Clark and DeAndre Hunter, whether we take them at six, whether we would maybe even trade the pick before we even select either of these guys. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you about Brennan Clark and his reported visit with the Suns in the last 48 hours. is Sunday and Monday. He spent Sunday with management in Phoenix, and Monday had a one-on-zero workout. What's your thoughts on that? Because I don't know if we've covered it a lot on the podcast yet. We have Obviously, DeAndre Hunter hasn't worked out with the Suns yet. He might have, but the Suns are very quiet this year. It's very, really more so than other teams that they're very quiet on who's coming in right now. But Brandon Quark, as we know, came into the Suns Sunday and Monday. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, it, it is interesting that they did a 48-hour meeting with him. That's the max that teams are able to do. We saw the Suns go that route right away with DeAndre Ayton, and obviously that just was kind of like a, a final interview, if you will. Like you've already called into the the hiring manager, then you talk to like your supervisor, and then the like regional manager just has to make sure you're not crazy. That's kind of how it felt with Ayton. So the fact that Clark is is already at that level. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to tell because we don't know how the other meetings have been orchestrated. We know that they went to Texas tech to meet with Culver and we know the, you know, the G league two way type guys that they brought through the, through those three days earlier this month, but we don't know a whole lot else. So maybe they've been doing 48 hours with everyone. Maybe they've targeted two or three guys and they just want to go forward from there with uh, the longer meetings, the longer workouts. But I do think it, it speaks to, the level of interest in Clark that he was one of the guys to get that treatment because there's a whole lot of guys as we're, as we're making clear in the way we're talking about them, having to narrow it down to six already almost feels like too little with how crazy this draft might get. So the fact that Clark was one of the ones who made the cut and they brought him in, it, it definitely got my gears kind of turning. Yeah. As far as the hometown angle they're doing, I know they went to Lubbock to get more of a personal hometown feeler for, for Culver. Clark is actually from Phoenix, so I wonder if that was another thing where they had him in Phoenix, had him ironically here for a workout too. Maybe they went and visited Desert Vista High School, maybe went around there and hung out with Clark and his family. But definitely interesting that Clark really seems like he's in serious consideration for the Suns, whether it's in trade back or at number six, depending on how the board falls. But let's dive in more into Clark versus Hunter. Where would you rank these guys? Because really to close things out, I think we both have them very close in my board. Personally, I have Clark six and Hunter seven, so that kind of tells you where I lean at right now. But what about you? Yeah, I have I have Hunter five and Clark six, so uh, that's it's pretty much the same. I mean, I think for the Suns, I kind of like Clark more just because I think you need 
that versatility and that that upside a little bit more next to Aiton, but I don't think you can go wrong with either guy. The more that I think about Hunter, I kind of just discounted him because it felt unlikely that they would go that route with the connection to the various point guards that they've already had. And um, the fact that I like Culver so much, I just preferred him and kind of ignored the possibility of Hunter. But I think he's a good option. I mean, I think he's more of a, as we talked about, like a, a safe, sturdy option. Maybe not a guy that, as we said, is ever going to be the third best player on a, on a great team, but somebody you trust to just get in there and start. You know, We saw how much of an impact that can have with Mikhail Bridges already. Just a smart team player on both ends who fills his role and, and you expect him to continue to get better. Like that's kind of how I think of Hunter. Whereas Clark is a little bit more of a lottery pick or like, okay. Lottery pick is like a a basketball term, but like a, a, like a a shot in the dark, like you don't really know, but he could turn out awesome. No, I see where you're coming from there. Cause I think we're both in agreement that Hunter's ceiling is maybe higher than Clark's two and his four is higher than Clark's, but I think Clark is more variant as far as where his ceiling and four could be. So I think Hunter is easily one of the safest prospects prospects in this draft class probably top five safest in, in my opinion maybe even top three because there's some questions about rj barrett that i'm really worried about but what do you think about the discussion between a guy like hunter because he's six foot seven with a seven foot two wingspan he and then we have cork who's six foot eight with a six foot eight wingspan what's the difference between those two guys that really stands out to you between the two prospects uh, athleticism i think clark is a much better athlete, I think. And I think that'll translate. I think Hunter has a, a, a longer road to match NBA level athletes. The guys he's going to be tasked with defending at the next level are going to be just a load for him to handle. I think, you know, the mirroring, the, the mobility, the way he's able to cut off drives and uses his arms to just uh, dissuade drives and and contest shots like that stuff's all going to be harder for him so i think that's the biggest thing that stands out is at the next level like clark's athleticism is going to be even more of an advantage than it was in college yeah i agree with you there i think clark's athleticism is going to translate i think hunter's defense will translate as far as his on ball and his mirroring ability i'm really impressed by hunter the more i watch him but just the athleticism concerns really kind of scare me a little bit just as far as his handle and maybe his feel. I think Clark hasn't beat in those areas, but where would you stand as far as if the Suns are on the clock at six? And I think there's a really good possibility. The more I think about, it, even if there's a trade, let's say the Pelicans move up for four or three. I really think the f- top five is solidifying as unless there's a curveball thrown next week or so, it's going to be Zion at one, Moran at two, Barrett at three, Garland at four and Culver at five. And then the Suns are left with guys like Hunter and Clark as the best players available at six. So what, yeah. what do you think about picking between maybe those two guys? or maybe Kobe White, and also talking about maybe the possibility of trade back more than more so than those three guys. Yeah, I mean, I think of these two options, I mean, Clark is 10th on my board, so he, he would be plan D or something at that point. Um, but I think I would pick Clark, even though he's a little lower on my board, just because of all the, the fit realities that we've discussed. And I, I kind of want, if this is the last pick, I'm not excited enough about Hunter to feel like he's just a home run. And so the upside of Clark being, I think, substantially higher makes him, to me, the better pick. If you think this is the last time the Suns are picking in the top top half of the lottery for a while, 
you know, maybe they're not going to make the playoffs next season, but if they're picking 13 next year, it's unlikely they find an all-star level player there. You want to kind of play a little bit more risky. Like I'm not saying pick a guy that's just uh, out of nowhere, go with Goga Batadze or something, but take Clark and hope that he kind of hits close to that ceiling with your last swing in the lottery. Yeah, I've, since I have Clark as the best player available in this scenario, I would go Clark, but I would be hitting the phone lines pretty aggressively here if I was the Suns, and I'd be trying to trade back for a guy like Clark because I think he will be there past number 10. I think probably in that 10 to 14 to 16 range, he might be there. I think 14 is probably his floor, to be honest, with Boston. But if they can trade back, let's say, with Minnesota to 11 and gain an asset in the process, I feel like it makes so much sense if that's how the board falls in one through five. Call up Minnesota if they want Kobe White really bad to leave from Chicago and the Suns don't like White, go ahead and make that trade, move back in asset, and draft Brandon Clark. That makes too much sense to me. Yeah, what a breath of fresh air that would be to see them uh, handle things a little more uh, patiently and smartly in the draft. I think that would be the type of move that they need. We went into super detail with Chris Manning last Friday about just how bereft of assets this franchise has become after the couple of trades they've made over the past few years. And Doing something like that to get another asset there would be a great call, especially if they're able to get the guy we both want them to take anyway. All righty, Brian. Anything else you want to hit on as far as DeAndre Hunter or Brandon Clark goes before we go on to part three? No, check out the Locked On NBA mock draft today and all the way through next Tuesday to get more analysis and uh, listen in today for our pick. All righty. Thanks again for listening on, on today's episode of Locked on Suns. And we'll be back with you guys on Friday to do Cam Reddish versus Jared Culver.